Hello everyone. This is our 11th sermon looking at the book of Exodus. Today we're in Exodus 17 verses 8 to 16 and we're thinking about turning to God in times of conflict. This coming Wednesday is St Patrick's Day. Patrick is remembered for the profound transformation he brought to Ireland during the 5th century. Patrick arrived in Ireland as a teenage slave. When he did so, he beheld a country dominated by superstition, druids and paganism. Roman society had crumbled and chaos and bloodshed were everywhere. By the time he died, just 29 years later, Ireland had been transformed into something new. It was rapidly becoming a Christian nation where slavery and human sacrifices were unthinkable and violence had markedly reduced. What had Patrick done to encourage such a change? Well, he worked hard preaching the gospel up and down the land. He established numerous monasteries, transforming pagan sites and re-educating the people. He challenged the bloodthirsty kings of the land. On one occasion, he wrote a furious open letter to King Caroticus, demanding that he release his slaves and commanding him to repent of his sins. It is no surprise that Patrick is remembered as a warrior saint. All of these things, of course, made a difference. But Patrick himself attributed his success to prayer. This is because Patrick believed, above all else, that he was engaged in a spiritual battle. He was not just standing up to pagan druids and violent rulers. He was standing up to evil itself. He described one particular night. When I was asleep, Satan assailed me violently, a thing I shall remember as long as I shall be in this body. Realising who his true enemy was, Patrick knew he must resort to the one weapon available to him, prayer. He had learnt to pray as a shepherd boy out in the fields with his flock. This quote from his confessions gives an indication of what his prayer life was like. In one day I said about a hundred prayers, and in the night nearly the same, so that I used even to remain in the woods and in the mountains. Before daylight I used to arise to prayer, through snow, through frost, through rain, and I felt no harm. Nor was there any slothfulness in me, as I now perceive, because the spirit was then fervent within me. Of course, the most famous prayer attributed to Patrick is one where Patrick calls on God to protect him in a time of spiritual attack. Here are a few lines from Patrick's breastplate. I bind to myself today the power of God to guide me, the might of God to uphold me, the wisdom of God to teach me, the eye of God to watch over me, the ear of God to hear me, the word of God to give me speech, the hand of God to protect me, the way of God to prevent me, the shield of God to shelter me, the host of God to defend me. Against the snares of demons, against the temptations of vices, against the lusts of nature, against every man who meditates injury to me, whether far or near, with few or with many. Christ protect me today. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ within me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ at my right, Christ at my left. 
I bind to myself today the strong power of an invocation of the Trinity, the faith of the Trinity in unity, the creator of the elements. Salvation is the Lord's. Salvation is Christ's. May thy salvation, Lord, be always with us. Amen. Now, to us today, that prayer can sound a little extreme, a little militaristic. But that is only because we have lost a sense of the battle we are in. We need to realise that this prayer is, in fact, biblical. Jesus described the devil as a thief that comes to steal, kill and destroy. The Apostle Peter urged the young church to be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. The Apostle Paul urged his readers to put on the full armour of God and stand against the devil's schemes, against rulers, worldly authorities and dark powers. They were to pray on all occasions to the Lord for help. We need to wake up and realise that there is a spiritual battle going on around us. As Christians, we are called to stand on the Lord's side and play our part. It is God that wins the victory for sure, but we are called to participate through prayer. I have two more quotes I'd just like to share with you before we turn to our passage. I've picked these to show that the church has realised the importance of prayer right throughout its history. In times of conflict, Christians must turn to God. In the 1500s, the great reformer Martin Luther wrote, we must practice violence and remember that he who prays is fighting against the devil and the flesh. Satan is opposed to the church. The best thing we can do, therefore, is to put our fists together and pray. Much more recently, Baptist pastor John Piper said with his usual flair, the number one reason why prayer malfunctions in the hands of believers is that we try to turn a wartime walkie-talkie into a domestic intercom. Until you know that life is war... You cannot know what prayer is for. Until you know that life is war, you cannot know what prayer is for. With that, let us turn to our reading from Exodus 17. The first thing that this short episode shows us is that conflict is inevitable in life. Right from the beginning of the Bible, there is no easy progress for the people of God. No victories without cost. In this story, Israel experienced conflict even though they were following the Lord just as he would have wanted them to. In the previous passage to this one, the story of God providing manna and water in the wilderness, we read of Israel testing God. We read of them grumbling and complaining to Moses. But there is none of that here. The attack of the Amalekites does not come because Israel have done anything wrong. In fact, no reason is given for the attack at all. Perhaps the Amalekites were after Israel's flocks and gold. Perhaps they saw this band of wanderers in the desert as an easy target. Or perhaps, having heard of the Red Sea, they saw them as a threat to be exterminated before they could really take root. We just do not know. The text does not say. But Israel find themselves at war through no fault of their own. They have followed God's pillar of cloud and fire, and this is the troubling situation they now face. 
God's people will face conflict in life. The times they are most likely to encounter it are precisely when they are taking steps to follow the Lord's direction. We need to realise this. We also need to realise just how serious this teaching is. I don't think it's a coincidence that this time in Exodus, we do not read of Israel grumbling or complaining at all. This is not just a little bit of discomfort to ungratefully moan about. This threat is serious, urgent, deadly. This is not the time for grumbling at all. It is the time for practical action. The people of Israel seem to intuitively realise this. We would do well to do the same as we recognise spiritual opposition lining up against us. Be it through temptations we face, suffering we experience, plans going wrong, or just the pressure to give up on our faith. In times of conflict, we must quickly turn to the Lord. So the day of the battle dawns and something immediately becomes very apparent. The fighting may take place in the valley, but the victory will be won on the hill. Joshua will take the strongest men and enter combat with the Amalekites. But the outcome depends on the actions of Moses as he prays. Verse 11 tells us, As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Now, the Bible does not actually explain to us the mechanics of how this works. All that is clear from this story is that it is the Lord that wins the battle, not Joshua. But somehow God works through the faith of Moses. Despite the ambiguity, there are three little clues as to what is going on. And that provide good advice for us today. First of all, when we come into spiritual conflict, we are to stand in the promises of God. Verse 9 is very specific. Moses stands on the hillside with the staff of God in his hands. Now, this staff has seen a lot of action in Exodus so far. Remember that it was given to Moses in chapter 4 as a sign of the Lord's power and protection when Moses felt afraid or not up to the task ahead of him. When Moses had to confront Pharaoh, he threw the staff on the ground and it became a snake. When Pharaoh was refusing Moses' request to leave, Moses motioned with his staff and the plagues came. When trapped and facing imminent slaughter at the Red Sea, Moses lifted his staff high above the waves and the water parted. Moses must have clutched that staff so tightly. It was the sign that God had already promised to give all the provision that Moses and the people needed. By standing on the hillside with the staff, Moses is defiantly facing his opposition, trusting in the promises of God. He's not turning into his own resources. He is remembering the Lord. Still today, when we go through times of conflict, opposition and trial, when all seems to be darkness around us and we seem set to fall, we are to remember the word of the Lord. We are to go to scripture and stand firm on the promises God has made to us. Promises to be with us always. Promises not to allow anything to harm us or snatch us away from him. Promises of forgiveness and hope for eternal life. We are to stand on the promises of God. The second clue about Moses' actions comes in the posture he takes up. 
He stands on the top of the hill and holds his hands up high. Now again, the passage does not directly explain this, but throughout the rest of the Bible, hands are held high in praise. You raise your hands in worship of God. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord, says Psalm 134, verse 2. Now this seems a strange time to praise God. When you are facing a vicious battle, worship is not always our first instinct. But perhaps it should be. When we choose to go on praising God in times of trouble, it focuses our attention on him. It lifts our eyes up from our foes and places them on the Lord. It gives us hope and assurance. It gives us perspective. God has just busted Israel out of Egypt. He's flattened Pharaoh at the Red Sea. He has led the people by a pillar of cloud and fire and provided them miraculously with daily food and water. He is not going to drop them in it now. Moses praises God, knowing the battle will be his. And still today, praising God in times of conflict and trial is a very good strategy. It stops us from turning to our own resources or hitting despair. It keeps our heads up and keeps us trusting the Lord. Praise gets the adrenaline flowing and puts a spring back in our step and an energy back into weary hearts and minds. So Moses' actions speak of promises and praise, but they also speak of prayer. This is the third clue as to what is really going on. At the end of the story, we get a summary of all that takes place. In verse 16, Moses says, Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites. Now, admittedly, this is a difficult verse to translate and interpret. But in the context of the story, I agree with the majority of commentators who say that this verse speaks of Moses raising his hands in prayer to the Lord. That as we pray earnestly to God, it's as if we are touching his throne, imploring him to act. In the New Testament, we get a very similar instruction. The author of Hebrews tells us to approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Here is the truly astonishing thing about prayer. When we pray on earth, it's as if we are in the throne room of God, presenting our request to the Lord directly. He sees us as we pray. He hears every word and he knows the pain and trouble behind all that we say. We should not be in any doubt as to what an awesome privilege this is. The holy, majestic, creator God of all the universe allows us to come before him and urge him to take action. Our prayers rattle his throne. It's as if we've taken hold of it. As Christians, we know we only have this privilege because Christ has forgiven us and made us clean to enter the Father's presence. But what power we now have. Our prayers give us direct access to God and by doing such they create the channel for change to occur. God responds to prayer. He uses our prayer to make a difference. So we say again the battle was fought in the valley but the victory was won by Moses taking up his position on the hill of prayer, urgently beseeching the Lord to act. 
when we face opposition and conflict today, like St. Patrick, like Martin Luther, like countless millions of believers before us and around the world, we are to pray. We are to pray with all we've got. We're to pray until something happens. Sustained prayer to the sovereign of the universe is the key to winning our battles in life. So in Moses' actions in this short story, we find three important pieces of advice for spiritual conflict today. We are to actively remember God's promises. We are to continue to praise and we are to pray with everything we have got. But there is one final element that is important for us to notice in this story. When the worst conflicts come against us, we need support to carry on, help to endure. We need a community of believers around us. It was too much for Moses to stand up on the hill with his arms aloft, staff in hand from sunrise to sunset. He got tired. Fatigue set in. Now this was serious because we know as soon as his arms started to drop, the battle in the valley started going wrong. So seeing this, Aaron and Hur stepped in to help. They came alongside Moses and held his arms up for him. I cannot think of a better picture of what the church should be doing than this. We all go through difficult times in life. And it's when we go through our toughest battles that we need help from those around us. When going through an onslaught, when fighting through the dark, even the strongest of believers can begin to waver, begin to doubt. Their arms can start to sag, their legs begin to tremble. Even the most faithful of us can lose our hold on the promises of God. Our words of praise can be stripped away and we can struggle to pray at all. We need brothers and sisters to come alongside us and do it for us. We need them to keep reminding us of scripture, reading it to us, holding us to God's promises. We need them to keep singing out God's praise until slowly but surely we can join in with them once more. We need them to pray for us and with us and to not stop until our trial is over. This is what the church is for. None of us can go it alone. There's no such thing as an individual Christian We are part of a family and at times we desperately need our family to do for us what we are struggling to do for ourselves. As this pandemic continues, as various members of our church come up against sickness and bereavement, unemployment, other forms of attack, we must be ready to get alongside one another and hold their hands up. I would do it for you, you do it for me, we all do it for each other. This passage is a rallying call for the church. The battle we face in life is at times fierce. Come on, let us stand on the hill of prayer and let us link arms with one another. To conclude, let me just return us to the final verses of our reading. The Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. This story has been preserved in Scripture because the Lord wants us to learn some lessons from it. We focused on what those might be. 
But we must never forget that ultimately the battle is the Lord's. This story ends with the assurance that God will always be on the side of his people. That means he will also always be an enemy to those who seek to hinder his plans. All those who try to stop the forward march of believers to glory and God's promised future for his creation will find themselves up against the Lord of heaven and earth. And that is a fearful position to find yourself. The text tells us that the Lord is our banner. We are to rally together in him. We are to take our stand under his name and power and allow him to fight for us. As Christians, this Old Testament teaching has been given even greater depth. We know that Jesus has already defeated evil. He did this at the cross and empty tomb. And one day Jesus will return as Lord and the vestiges of evil's campaign will be removed from creation for good and all will be love and light. So when we come into times of conflict, we are to turn to Christ. We are to remember his victory, praise him for his promises and pray until his glorious future becomes our present. May we be living memorials, moving altars, passing on the good news of Christ for all to lean on in the darkness of our present days.